Welcome to Great Big Table, a podcast about expanding the board game hobby and playing more games with more people. I'm Jim. And I'm Adrian. And this is episode three, Finding a Game Group. This week we talk about strategies for finding other gamers. If that doesn't work, we talk about making the friends that you have into gamers. Make new friends, but keep the old one as silver and the other's gold. And they're all potential gamers. <laughs> And our our listeners and friends have made a lot of comments, so you're going to get the whole hive mind this week. Yeah, great. We've harnessed the internet. Maybe a little creepy, but let's get to the table. Hey, Jim. I can't wait to tell everyone what we have been up to lately. What have we been up to? Well... We've talked about it, and we have finally achieved voicemail. Welcome to the 80s. <laughs> That's awesome. We've always <laughs> talked about this podcast being a conversation. We carried it on, on Twitter at... Twitter.com forward slash Great Big Table. On our website. GreatBigTable.com. On the Board Game Geek Guild. Follow the forum link from our website. Or by asking that people send us recorded messages of 5 megabytes or less, or just plain old email messages to our email address. Podcast at greatbigtable.com. But some of our listeners were still not satisfied, and they were <sighs> asking that we had a voicemail number. It took us a while to come up with a mnemonic <laughs> number. Try that. It took us a while to come up with a memorable mnemonic number. I was trying to do it in the reverse order, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Every gaming word we could come up with was either taken or sandwiched between a whole bunch of completely irrelevant numbers. Yeah, so we tried like meeple, pawn, player, player game, fun, peace, move, and it just went on loser. and on. We tried forever and could not find one. But in a fit of inspiration and desperation, we finally hit upon the best number ever. Out of the great tiny state of Rhode Island... Is Great Big Table's new voicemail number. It is 401. It is big. That's 401-484-7244. It is big. And if you want to call from your computer, if you don't want to spend long distance charges in Rhode Island or waste your minutes that way, you can go to our webpage at greatbigtable.com and click on the Google Talk widget, which will connect you to your computer. Woohoo! And that's a great way to leave us audio. Yeah. Uh, I think it cut you off for three minutes, but, but if call it, us back. Yeah, if it does, <laughs> call us back. Also, we found with our testing that if you record inside, it works a lot better than if you're outside. Outdoors on a windy playground full of children, not as good as one might think. Yeah, it was tough to edit that out. <laughs> but, uh, I'm, st- I'm not an audio engineer, <laughs> so. But if you want to call us or engage us in any way in the conversation that we're carrying out, now there's a new way to do it by calling 401 It Is Big. Well, since we're pulling up to the table, um, do you want to talk about some of the games we've played? Yeah, so what have you been playing? Well,. We had game night Yep. a little over a month ago. Yeah, we've been on vacation 
And then we came back from vacation, and, and then... It's er- hot enough to melt concrete here, and my, there's just my, been a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, work's been kicking my butt, so I come home and I just fall asleep, so... And we, the kids have been averaging about four medical appointments a week. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, then our, uh, and then our youngest, Rogue, has decided all of a sudden to go back to newborn hours, so... For about a week and a half, I've been getting up twice in the night. So, and I was sick for that week and a half, so he gets to get yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind, time, but so. it made it really hard to stay awake past the time the kids were in bed to record a podcast. So okay. we're sorry, but so at our last game night, we're gonna have one on Friday. So it was a month ago. Well, it's been over a month. Yeah, a month, yeah, a month and a half. We had a yeah. delay. That's so. right. That's right. Anyway, um, a little over a month ago, I got to play Can't Stop with my godson mm-hmm. and. Two other great yeah, folks who yeah. are regular attendees, Mike and Karen. Mike and, and Karen, Mike from my my game group, and Mike and Karen of the game demo that happened at the comic store in town. Okay, they had gone to Origins and the one in Louisville. Uh, uh the Forge, Forge I think, is what yeah. it's called. It's a new local con, and I'm not sure which con they were introduced to this at, but can't stop. It's uh, Griffin Games, published in 2011. But there, there's so many editions out, and I even saw Rail was playing one that he had a great Instagram picture of. Yeah, I did a print and play version of it. I um, think. Where he had, yeah, he printed it off, and he was using some some little cubes and uh, just stock gaming pieces, and it's brilliant, brilliant to do it that way. Yeah. Um, but the Can't Stop set is really nicely made. I'm really pleased yeah, with it. It's a 2011 Griffin Graves reprint. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sid Saxon was the designer. It took, it says 30 minutes, um, on Board Game Geek for playtime. I think it took us maybe a little bit less than that. Two to four players, right? Yes, and we were playing it with four. So okay. I, I, so that's a, a full feeling, compliment. Yeah. yeah. It, it seems like one so, of those great games when you're playing with people who aren't really at the point where they want to leave behind sorry in life and, you know, all those. So for those that are uninitiated, what is Can't Stop? What is the game like? Okay. Uh, it's sort of a, a stop sign shaped board. Yeah. And it numbers from two, their rows, numbered two to 12 across the face. And you basically advance your runners up pegs based on what die you roll. And the goal is to get to the opposite end of the, the stop sign. With all of First, your runners or just one? I, I think you have to get three of them. It's okay if you don't remember. If you only play it a I, times. I'm having a hard time remembering. It's yeah. been over a month. It's been so. over a month. It's but either, it's a push your luck dice game. It's either two or right? three. It's push your luck. I was really pushing my luck. It was a lot of fun. It it deals with things like probability, uh-huh. because you're and there, there's such a variation. The tracks for the two and the twelve are much shorter than the tracks for the seven and the eight. But it's less but likely to roll rolling those. two dice. Yeah, it's a lot less likely. Yeah, because you can only get a two with the roll of a. And one you can and only one. get a twelve with one combination, whereas yeah. seven and eight pop up a lot. Yeah. So you have to make some. Some pretty critical decisions. It's great that you played with a younger kid, though, so you can kind of, like, get him into understanding those sort of uh, distributions of numbers and stuff. Yeah, and it, it was just a great a great game. I loved it. Um, I could see playing it with pretty much anybody in the family, mm-hmm. like the larger family, mm-hmm. um, including my mom, who's not really such a gamer. Yeah, I've seen this uh, so. mentioned in a number of different board game podcasts, and everybody seems to love it. I'd like to play it sometime. I finally got to play Hike. Um, that was one of my goals at Gen Con last year, and it didn't work out for me to get yeah, to play it there. Yeah, that's a Games card game. Mm-hmm. And um, 2011 release. It, it expands large. It goes three to eight. We played it with four. Running time is about... At 30 minutes, and I'd say that was pretty much on the money for us, and it was great. And Ranger played that with us, too, who's seven, or going to be seven soon. And he 
he really held his own. It was nice because it was a game where there are enough variables that kids can really compete. And that was cool, too. So what do you do? Are you just, like, building up uh, runs and things like that? Uh, no, not really. Not out of your own hand. The community's working together, and basically it, it's more like, you know, where okay. someone plays and then you have to play a complimentary. Okay. But it's got a lot more complexity okay. in, in what works what and works what, and what doesn't can be played work. On what card. Unlike Uno, where you're just going with a color. Or a... And then there are special cards. I want to say seven of them, but that's probably wrong. It's been a while. Um, and I only played it twice. Um, ten special cards. I wrote it down. I'm glad I have awesome. these notes. And they can only be used once. So uh, they're very equalizing in their effect. Yeah. So they can Poop change. Poop is one of them, right? Yeah. yeah. Kids love that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. It was funny and fun, and we had a really great time playing. And yeah. And then you close out the evening with Witch Trial, right? Yeah. You know, I have always been a huge fan of cheap-ass games, and this is a 2001 game, and I'm pretty sure I'm the one who chose it. Yeah, it's our original set. Yeah. Um, it, uh, but you can print it off from their website now. Right, as a free printable, which is just amazing. Yeah, and they did a really nice job with um, the update of it. It is The cards are offbeat and fun. They're just hilarious. It's a lot like Kill Dr. Lucky, that kind of vein. Of humor. Three to seven players, 45 minutes, and 45 minutes, probably the low end. Maybe the first time it may take up to an hour as yeah. people are kind of getting the ropes. So, so the idea of the game is that your prosecutors and defenders and Salem. Right, your lawyers. And depending on how the terms are structured, you can either choose to be a prosecutor or a lawyer. And then you have to choose a suspect, a charge, and then, then you uh, prosecute the case. Then you have evidence. On yeah. one side or the other. And um, you can go with the strategy that I've heard Jim has used in the past, where you take all sorts of um, public <laughs> defender cases, and then you expend absolutely no evidence or resources on them. And so they go, but you still get to collect the court fee for, yeah. for having it's, done that. It's, a, it's, a, it's very much a satire. It's a game that's a satire of the American legal system. It's and, hilarious. And the characters, like, your, your uh, suspects can be everybody from, like, a spinster to a friendly old couple <laughs> to a drunkard to uh, a politician, all this stuff. And then they have charges like, say, that they're witches, which might be they're too friendly, that they read books, things like yeah. that. <laughs> so you would combine a suspect with a charge to create a case, and then, then you would play out the trial where the defense attorney and the prosecutor would then lay out their evidence, or they would have witnesses, and the witness can be good or bad, depending on how you roll the die. So that it might be like in a Matlock or Perry Mason case where you bring them up to the bench, you roll the dice, and it turns out that they actually help the other side or things like that. It, it's just good for a lot of it, laughs. It's really and, funny. Um, one of the nice things, we have the old paper set that yes. they sold, but you found that there's a new sort of board. I guess there's no... Yeah, the tableau that you use for the courtroom is really is just a piece of card stock, like basically. Like everything else in the cheap Yeah, ass the cheap game. ass. And there's no real graphics on it. It just shows you where to lay out the cards and to pay the and fees they and they have things. a pretty color... And now one it's, with a much nicer Yeah, and they um, have instructions counter. on how to print it off with the Kodak and get it printed as a mouse pad. I think that would be great. So yeah, and they, I, have, and, they, and they have graphics on everything. It's like a little more clear that. how to play it. Uh, one thing I did with our set was uh, you have to play with a lot of money, and I didn't have, like, Monopoly of money that I wanted to put in there. And so I printed money from... <laughs> we hate to contaminate a game. <laughs> yeah, I know. So Cheapass Games, if you go to CheapAss.com, I'm pretty sure that's it. Yes, it is their address. <laughs> you might check that on a home computer before you go to work. They have some play money that you can print off. And I printed it to cardstock, 
and then clipped the end so that they were, they were more, I guess, octagonal, so I didn't want the ends poking people, and uh, made various denominations. It said you, it tells you in the rules about how much money you need, and printed those off, um, and it worked out really well. I think it was a nice uh, addition for the game. We played some games on vacation, but I think we're going to get to that in a minute. Yeah. So, what have you been up to? You've had your Wednesday game group. What have they been playing? Well, I played Witch Trial as well. Actually, I played it the Wednesday before game night. I played it with Mike. I think Mike played And Mike, Mike and... actually showed the rest of us how to play it yes, that night. Yes, uh, and I played with Mike and Susie, and Susie is awesome to play with, but she doesn't always like the games that, that have complex rules. Um, and she was just hilarious playing this game. We were laughing so hard that uh, Mike and I were both crying because uh, Susie would give no quarter when we're in every case. She would not, she would not take a plea bargain. She was just like, she was like the hanging judge. Everything it was so funny. And it ended up that she and Mike were in a near dead heat uh, for most game, and I lost so badly that Mike started teasing me about being a front to the legal system. Uh, he said that you're the reason that they say to never get a defend a public defender because I was so far behind in the money. Uh, I think I had. I think I. Started with a couple hundred dollars and I ended with just a little bit more than that. So, uh, it, it's a great game. We were laughing so hard. People were coming around asking what we were playing. We're like, oh, witch trial. I'm like, what the heck? So it was great. That's great. And then, um, we had played Monopoly Deal before the last episode. We yeah. talked about that some and I know you took that to game group the yeah. following week. We picked it up. I picked it up at a thrift store, uh, for like a dollar, two dollars and one dollar. It's 2008. Hasbro card game, two to five players, and plays about 15 minutes, if that. Uh, there's no credited designer for it. I played with four of the people, so we had a full complement of five. It was uh, Carol, Teresa, Susie, and Becky, uh, some of my regulars. And it was a great game. It had three standout moments, and, it, and it's one of the reasons why I think this game is really a lot of fun. If, if you see it, pick it up, especially if you see it like a thrift store. Always count the cards when buying thrift store. Yeah, this one was like purchases. shrink. <laughs> Everything was in shrink, so it was still good. The first one was after a once on the table, Teresa, who's our resident card shark, every card game we pull, play, she kind of just gets it very quickly. Uh, she pulled off this killer combo of cards. You know, when you play Monopoly Deal, the order in which you get to play up to three cards, and the order in which you play them matters. And you can change that around, so you can string combos along. And she played off this killer combo where she gained a bunch of properties, one fell soap, and then she goes, yeah, I think I get this game. And it was just hilarious, like, how confident she was. Like, after one round, she's like, okay, I'll play this, and then I'll give me this, and then I'll get these, and then she all of a sudden she just had a full deck money and, and properties in front of her. So that was pretty hilarious. And then Becky, <laughs> who was, like, one of the last people in the round, she kept getting pummeled, so every time she put down properties, it would just get stolen from her, the next couple of people that played. And uh, that happened enough that she said, you know, I think I hate this game. <laughs> but then three laps around the table after that, uh, she pulled off a combo, which pulled in enough property from everybody. You have to have three full property sets mm-hmm. to win that she went from having nothing in front of her and just with one hand playing it the right order, she won the game. So she got three full property sets by stealing it from three different people. Because when you run out of money in the game, uh, you have to pay with properties and that properties have a different value. So, And then the final thing... <laughs> was Susie used a slide deal card, which lets you take one property from somebody else. And uh, so she took a brown property from Becky, and then Susie had a brown rent card in her hand. So then she played the brown rent card and made Becky pay her rent, but Becky had nothing left except for the other brown card for the property. So then she used a brown property to get rent on it to steal the other brown property from Becky's. Stuff like that happens in the game a lot. And if you get into the combos, it's a lot of fun. 
definitely look at picking that up if you haven't, or, or at least playing it somewhere. It's a lot of fun to play. Okay, and the last game night, I noticed you ended up playing a lot of games with the kids. Yeah, I think before you had done a lot of duty helping with the kid, helping watch after our kids, and so I wanted to make sure that you had a lot of time to play. And so I tried to play games with the kids and keep the kids occupied, and play games where I didn't have to be as involved, so I could watch after the girls and stuff. So I played Skeddy Scatter, which we talked about before, and that's the little plastic bowl that if you pull the noodles out, they have the suspended meatballs. They fall in the bowl, it tips over. Played out with Ranger and a couple of younger kids from church. I still really like this game. Ranger wasn't as interested. One of the other kids kind of liked it. I think they were just interested in trying something else. But I still had a blast with it. And uh, fresh off of that, I went to Board Game Geek and added our dice variant. <laughs> so I still have a couple other variants I want to add there, but I just haven't gotten around to it. So if you go to the Board Game Geek page now, it actually has something written into the forums for Skeddy Scatter. And if you guys find the game... And come up with your own variants, put them in there, because I think it'd be hilarious if there's a section where we're adding all these variant We should to this definitely game. hack Skeddy Scatter. I mean, a possible with tennis shoes. Uh, this game po- needs yeah. some relevance. Exactly, exactly. Or, if you like our variant, go to Born Game Geek and thumbs up it. Because if we get a lot of people doing that, it'll actually rise the hot list, which I think would be really funny too. Skeddy Scatter. Yeah. Hot property. <laughs> where can I get this game that's been gone for so long? Our house. I think we have the only copy that still has all its noodles. Probably. Uh, anyway, what else were you playing? I played Elementies, which uh, we talked about in our kids' episode, published in 2010 by Smiley Pop, and it's for two to eight players. It's a card game. It's designed by Richard Laird, Matthew Laird, and Joshua Laird. It takes about 15 minutes, although with eight players, and, depend- and we had a range of people from, I think four was our youngest, maybe. Maybe even three. I think he's four. I think his okay. grandma said he was four. Four on up to... A fresh new four, then. Yeah. <laughs> it was four all the way up to definite retirees. <laughs> you have five slots in front of you, and you have to try to get the five different elements laid out in front of you first. So you can lay down up to five cards in front of you. You're yeah. trying to achieve it, so each element is represented. Yes. And the yeah. order of cards you can play on top of a card is limited. So yeah. it's sort of a rock, paper, scissors dynamic at that point. Yeah, so, so like... Fire can be... Can be wiped out, wiped by, out by water and earth, I think. I can't remember. But each element can be wiped out by two other elements. Uh, if you can't get the five exactly, there's also a star, which is uh, a wild wow. card. You can have five wild cards in front of you as long as you're just, each of your spaces is filled up. And then there's some cards that reverse direction or allow you to remove something. There's also a trash element, I guess, that can wipe out anything except for a star and also can only be cleaned up by a star. Yeah, it just clutters your Yeah. And then you, your so you can play the spaces. game like you can fill up people, like you give people have, a, say, a water laid out. You can lay extra water in those slots to clog up their area until they clean those out. It's a really fun game, and we played it a lot. I think we played, I don't know, <laughs> five, six games of it throughout the night. We'd wow. play it, and they'd want to play again, and then they'd want to play again over and over. So, yeah, whenever we'd finish, all the other players just wanted to just pick right up. And what was nice about that game was I got a really nice comment from one of the grandmothers that was playing. She said that her grandson, who was the four-year-old, he just can't wait for game night throughout the day. As soon as he woke up in the morning, I guess he stayed with her during the summer, uh, or was staying with her for the game night. He was like, oh, it's game night tonight. 
She told him it's still a whole day to get there. So it was nice though because it made it easy for going to nap. She's like, okay, gotta take a nap so you can be ready for game night. And, you know, I had given a presentation at church about the benefits of gaming and things like that during one of our services. And she told me that she was completely convinced about the benefits of gaming after seeing the effects it had on her grandson. So he was less shy. He was more comfortable interacting with people and more comfortable in asserting himself. And he was doing a great job. Like, as he got the game, he would, like, play offensive and defensive cards against people all around mm-hmm. the table. And he was laughing. And so that was really nice. It was just very validating. And then a couple, when we were done, a couple of people that played asked about uh, where they could pick it up and stuff so that they could play with their families or their grandchildren and stuff. Because we had a couple of grandmothers. That's the always great to hear. Yeah, I was like... When people the, liked it enough that they'd like to have it around. Yeah. And it's got them thinking about playing at home. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we talked about. The ultimate mission of, of the game night at our church is to get families to think about playing games and having game time with each other as like a family activity. So, you know, it's nice to see that that is actually happening. So, really cool. Okay, and I thought I saw that Vivid Art of Gotham out. Yeah, it's a Calliope Games. We got it as a review copy from Gen Con uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Played it a couple times with Ranger. Uh, it's a gridded board. Each square on the board is a different color. Uh, you have a number of different pawns. And then there's all these little plastic walls that you can snap or push into those slots. The goal of the game is to be the last one captured. So you try to capture the other pawns by surrounding one square. And it's just a two-player game. Uh, no, if you go up to four. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Up to four. It's 30 minutes. When you and I played it, we've only played it two players. It was designed by Tyler Bierman, uh, Jonathan Locks, and Zach Weissman. It's got two different versions that come in the game. We played Bright Gotham, which has a deck of colored cards, and and you you have three cards in your hand, and you draw, you play one, then draw one back up to three. And then each card will either direct where the barrier placement is. It'll say, place the barrier next to a red square. So it has to touch a red square to one side, right? Or it'll indicate the number of spaces that you can move. Like you might say one, two, or three. And some of them provide special abilities like you can jump barriers or remove barriers. I played against Ranger and I lost. <laughs> I mean, he did a really good job. He boxed me in pretty quickly and then I just realized I couldn't do anything unless I got a good draw of cards and I didn't and he won. Uh, the other version is Brainy got him where there are no cards and then the number of, there are no special abilities like removing walls or anything like that. And then the number of spaces you can move is based on the number of walls that are around you. So like if you have two around you, I think you can move two spaces or something like that. So I haven't really played as much of that version. I played a couple of times with you, but. As an abstract game, The Bright Gotham, especially given that Ranger got the concept and could read the cards and didn't need my help or anything like that, and won, it's it's a good, it's a fun game. Definitely very abstract, and it's all plastic, all the piece of plastic. It's pretty durable. Definitely something a kid can play. Okay, on vacation, we took along some old favorites. We had Lost Cities, Dominoes, and then we picked up some new things. I played Lost Cities with your dad, and then I played a whole bunch of games with you. I yeah. played dominoes with my dad. Dominoes sort of a family tradition. On yeah, side, yeah, so. your dad has a really nice set of dominoes. They have like mm-hmm. the little, almost the little pin nail on mm-hmm. one side, so that they're easy to pick up and stuff like that. So yeah, just a real standard, basic game of dominoes. But yeah, we would play that. We used to play that with your grandmother all the time as well. Mm-hmm. And then we picked up. We'll talk about it later. We put, we played Jungle Speed, which we picked up at a thrift store on the way up. We played Trap the Cap, which is another thrift store find. <laughs> And then Game of Goose, Game of Goose, which is not what it sounds like. Yeah, another Thrasher <laughs> find, and then uh, we played Battle Line. Right. Yeah. After our last, our couples episode, 
I contacted GMT and let him know that, you know, some people had mentioned their games favorably on that podcast and said that, that Battleline might be something. And I said, oh, we're looking at picking that up in the future. And then Tony Curtis offered to send us a copy to see what we thought. Uh, and to recap, um, this is a 2000 game produced by GMT. Uh, it's two player only. Yeah. Which is nice. I mean, I really do like those. And it's about 30 minutes. So we played it quite a few It's designed by Reiner Knizia. And since that's also Lost Cities of Reiner Knizia, I was expecting a Lost Cities game. But it's not exactly what it is. Uh, it's a re-implementation of a game called Schottentotten. I don't know what that means, but it is fun to say. I love German. I love German. Yeah. Our kids have these German books. <laughs> And, they, and these uh, German VHS tapes that my uh, coworker gave us, and they love they love the sound of the German words. It, it, the shot and totten version of this game is uh, like a bunch of Celtic people fighting over various uh, ritual stone things. So I don't know what shot and totten actually means, but that's the the theme of that game. That's okay. <clears throat> Let, let's talk a little bit about this one. Battleline is like uh, it's themed around a Alexander the Great versus Darius. Turkish, I'm not sure. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's a two player battle where you have a line of, I think it's nine, uh, nine pegs or, or flags. Those are the, your, your capture elements. And the first person who, uh, lays an arrangement of cards down in front of them such that they are able to capture three adjacent flags or five total flags wins the game. And the way you capture is by laying down, you know, one at a time. But you're laying down a combination of a card. Like a straight flush, or a flush, or three of a kind. They're basically poker, modified poker hands. And they have names like a wedge, or a phalanx, or things like that. There's some really nice player aids off of Board Game Geek that I printed off that help out with that. It has um, some cards that greatly change the nature of the rules. Maybe in just one row, or maybe... Yeah, they have tactics cards as and well. And those, those are really powerful and interesting. Yeah, what's interesting is, like, so it's a, the cards are numbered, they have names, but it'd be like infantry and all this stuff, but they're numbered from their power, so it'd be mm-hmm. like 10 down to 1, a basic like poker hand. Um, one of the interesting things, if I lay down 3 cards, and you only have 2 cards laid down, but I can prove, based on what else is laid out, except for the tactics cards, that there's no way you could counter that with any combination, then even though you haven't laid down two cards, then I could take that stone early. Things like that. So it's the deduction stuff is really nice. And then the taxi card just add like wild cards and things like that to it. I expected, like I said, a Lost City spill, but with the poker suits and tactic cards, it add a lot of fun angles. It's gonna be, a, I think it's a game that it'll take a while to explore. And I suspect we'll have a much longer review of it. In a later episode. Yeah, we've only played like two or three hands of it. Uh, I'm, I already know I'm really bad at this game. But I think you won both. I don't know. I don't remember, but it, it's really fun. Uh, one thing I did want to mention is there's a, there, I was looking at some reviews and the only one I, one of the ones I saw was, uh, Dice Tower had a nice, uh, Tom Vassell at Dice Tower had a nice video review. And the only complaint he had was that the cards were very thin. Well, he wasn't talking about this printing because these cards are thick. Yeah, they're kind of almost, uh, maybe, I wouldn't no, say they're too thick. They're, I, I think they're gonna last a long time. They're hard to shuffle, but if you, if, they're hard to riffle shuffle. But if you know how to shuffle, by doing like a side shuffle or some of the other ways to do shuffle. I'm pretty sure they'll be fine for riffle shuffle after a little bit more, a more games. I think it's gonna be a really durable set. And that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. really nice. It, the quality was great. Uh, the rules were real simple. Um, four page, one single sheet folded over. And like I said, I, I printed off some player aids just for the, the rank of the cards, but all that's, I mean, just the rules by themselves were pretty accessible. So 
Oh, yeah, we'll do a deeper review later, but uh, I it was to bring a, it up. It was a great game. We've had a lot of fun playing it so far. Thank you for the suggestion, and keep telling us what you guys like. Yeah, because that was definitely, you know, yeah. we, we always love, like I said, we like Balloon Cup, and we like Lost Cities, and this is another just two-player game. If you, and it's got, like, a different feel than those other two games, so it's definitely doesn't, it's not like a, it's not just an Osoran for something else we already have. It, it definitely has its own flavor. So, and if you're listening, Tony Curtis, thank you. Yeah, thank definitely. You thank you very us. much. We, we really we appreciate it. it. Yeah, that was something we played together. And that brings us up to the Fourth of July. Yeah, it was awesome. We got a chance to play with some old friends at the best restaurant in town. Their house. Their house, <laughs> which turned out to be the best restaurant in town again. Which almost turned out to be a floating restaurant, thanks to their daughter and our daughter deciding to splash in the puddles in an upstairs bathroom. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. When water comes through the ceiling, you do wonder if you'll be invited back. Yeah. Ever. Uh, <laughs> so, so sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, uh, the whole idea was we were supposed to go over and have like an early meal. Well, the original idea was we were going to have a breakfast picnic. And you know, in the summer, that's a great thing. But here, it is so hot that even breakfast is sweltering. So um, they called and said, why don't we just make waffles? Well, who is going to argue with that? So we went to the house. We had a great and we have waffle a, breakfast. And we have a great Belgian waffle maker where you flip it over so they're mm-hmm. real fluffy and nice. And then they have this awesome batter. Oh, oh yeah. A yeast, we had... It's a yeast batter. And um, it's just outstanding. Right, overnight. You, you have to let it sit in the fridge overnight. And, and then, then it's quiche. perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there were fresh berries and peaches and. And uh, I think we brought a little bit, but not much, and um, it was lovely. It was a great meal. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I said, th- this is the best restaurant in town. It's just really hard to get a seat. To celebrate the Tour de France, which our host was watching at that point. Yeah, he's an avid cyclist. Yes. And uh, he picked up a copy of Leader One from Gen Con. He got a good price on last it last year. year. Yeah, because we talked to him to go to Gen Con. And that, that may be a good tip for those of you who go to cons in general, but Gen Con in particular. The last day you're there, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, he was there on people Sunday. People are starting to realize they're going to have to box this stuff up and take it home. Make an offer. <laughs> yeah, he made a really good offer on this Leader One, which is a Genos game slash Rio Grande games, released from 2008. <laughs> It's supposed to be 60, we were told it's, it says 60 minutes on, on, on Board Game Geek is how long it takes, which. Well, we played it wrong. It's a total joke. Uh, yeah, but we didn't play it that wrong. <laughs> it was three what? hours. Why are you saying it's not possible? Three and a half hours later. We actually said a time clock because I asked as soon as it, uh. As we soon, had a full complement of people. Yeah, as soon as Andy said, and hey, let's go play many. this game. And I said, that sounds awesome. How long is it going to take? He said, well, we're going to play a test game just so we know. And he said, it's only taken an hour and a half when we got there. We put too many cyclists on the board, though. And that really that really had more of an impact than you realize. All right. Still. Anyway. I don't think it's three and a half hours. It's not a fast pace But here's the thing. It, it's, it's, it was designed by Christophe Leclerc and Elaine Ollier, I think. Uh, and it's a race. It's a racing simulation game, and it's it's a lot of fun. I, it, three and a half hours, it didn't seem like three and a half hours. That's the funny thing about it. And, and that's one of the jokes about racing board games. Like, there's some of the slower games that you're gonna play. But if you have fun, which we did, it, it was down to the end, uh, until we- Well, reached... and it was faster than the Tour de France. I mean, heck, that takes a month, right? That is true. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, I would definitely play this again. I hope they invite us back. That may be up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I really enjoyed it and look forward to playing it again with the right rules. But I still think that it's going to take a long time and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Even yeah. even at three hours, yeah. it was a lot of fun. So, And we would have probably played it a second time except they had other plans later in the day and there were other things going on. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I think otherwise it would have been one of these things where we said, well, the first time we played it and the second, but yeah. uh, there will be a second time soon. So maybe we could get them to bring it to uh, game night. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So then the last game that I think we'll talk about is I played a game of Rally Man, which is a, another race game. Uh, it's, I, it's one I won in a contest. It's a 2009. It's p- published by Rally Man. It's for one to four players and plays, I would say about 15 minutes per player, and since it's two to four, it's 45 minutes, or roughly in there. Okay. And I, I didn't mark down, write down the uh, designer. I think it's John Kristoff, I think. I could be wrong about that. Uh, anyway, uh, the reason I played it was the owner of Legends Family and Hobby Games, uh, a game store in Vincennes, Indiana was coming to Evansville for some errands and said that, you know, he'd be in the area and wondered if I wanted to play, get together. And I said, that'd be great. He also uh, had some games that he was donating that were extras or didn't need from his um, demo supply for our church's game night. Uh, we've talked a little bit on Board Game Geek on various forums, and, and I'm also in the, we're in the same Southwestern Indiana board game guild, so there's some discussion there about uh, board gaming in the area. So he uh, offered those games, and I thought it would be awesome to add to the collection we're growing for our church. And uh, then I thought I'd bring in a game and teach it to him. So uh, Rally Man is a dice push-your-luck game with some basic uh, rally car race where they go across the countryside around hairpin turns and crash into uh, trees or cliffs or bounce over onlookers <laughs> that are in those behind those trees or in those curves. Uh, it's got a little slide mechanic. It's a lot of fun. I really like it. One of the nice things about it is that it has a number of different race boards, and you can flip them over and then lay them up against each other so that you can create unique tracks. And then each connection has a letter number code. And so you can describe a track by just going in sequence along those letter number code, and then you can publish those places as a racetrack. And then since the race isn't to see who gets off the board first. It's really a race against time. You can play asynchronously with other people. So one of the things that the designer does is he puts out a monthly track, and then you know people have to be on their honor, and they have to keep detailed notes of how they actually roll their dice to come up with their results. But then they basically do these races, and then in each printing of the game, he puts whoever won the last year's races on the spine of the box. So that's kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah, and I thought it'd be fun to do some of that stuff in the future. We might get a copy of Rally Man. Let us know. <laughs> because if you do, I found that there's a way you could do run race on Twitter. I did an experiment with that a while back, and it, it's possible. So you know, keep that in your thoughts. If you if you haven't found this game, play it at your game store. And if you like it, pick up a copy, and then let us know, and then maybe we'll start running a race.
Okay, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because we've got a lot of comments in our topics, but I do want to mention some thrift finds we found because on vacation, different stores, different things. And um, I'm going to let you go first because we could argue mine may be the, go- the goose that laid the golden egg this time. <laughs> So, uh, Adrian found a copy of Double Discoveries, which... No, no, no. We'll oh. just wait. We'll just wait. You can do yours. Oh, I can do mine, mine for... Okay. So, I, I found... I think mine is just, just good enough to wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> on our way up to Michigan, we stopped at various thrift stores along the way, you know, when we were just stopping for, you know, gas or whatever, and we have noticed a Goodwill or something uh, along the way. Uh, I found a copy of Jungle Speed, still in shrink, box is a little damaged, didn't really matter, for... Two dollars. It's a nineteen ninety seven Asmodee game for two to eight players. It takes about ten minutes. It was designed by Thomas Vercheck and Pirit Yakovenko, who go by Tom and Yako, which I think is funny. It sounds like the anime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh it's a it's a game where you flip cards that have various colored designs on them and and then if the designs match, um, then the people who have matching designs, whether they're different colors or not, reach for a totem in the center. The designs are a lot more intricate than I expected. Yeah. So the first time you're playing with this, proceed with caution. Yeah. Then there's also some special cards that say, you know, there'll be an auto... That's called a duel when you grab for the totem. There's a card you flip over that forces an automatic duel for all players, so the first person reaches. If you do reach... If you do get the totem first, then you take your cards. If you lose a duel, you take your cards, the the person that you lost against, and and you take your cards from your discard pile, you stack them together and put them on the top of your draw pile. If you have a forced duel, then the person who wins stacks theirs underneath the totem. And then if there's another... Anyway, it doesn't matter. But once you get all these cards, these special cards in place, the whole idea is to get rid of all your deck of cards before anybody else when you reach for the totem, you can really bloody your knuckles or get scratched or something like that. So be careful. But I thought it was a lot of fun. We only played this a couple times on vacation because my fingernails were really long. And every time we would both go for the totem, Jimmy would yell, ow! And I, I just couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. I, I played bad. against Mike uh, today. And yeah, game group played it game today. Group. And, against, and just one person again. Uh, I think it would be a lot of fun with more people, but we haven't played it that way yet, so. And and you can play with a wide range of kids. There's no reading skill needed or anything like that. So anyway, and then the other game I found was uh, Save the Whales. I found this at a charity shop in, in Michigan. Okay. It's wait wait it's oh, it's it's every 1978. Should definitely look this up on board yeah. game. <laughs> yeah, you have to look up the board itself. It's printed in 1978 by a company called Animal Town Game Company. It's for two to four players, 75 minutes, and it takes 75 minutes. Now the outside of the box. Is generic. It's actually, they printed like four different games, and then they had like uh, a list of titles, and they put like a little heart stamp. Of course, they put a heart stamp. It's a hippie company. But next to... I would have thought a hippie would use a butterfly. The 80s. Oh, you know, whatever. So they put... It was a, 78. It was the era of disco, so... That's true. That's true. So they put like a little stamp next to whichever one actually was included in the box. There's all these weird quotes on the box and stuff. But the art looks like something out of Yellow Submarine. And that's what that's what attracted me to it. I thought, oh, it looks interesting. So I opened. I, it. I was shocked that he even looked at it. I had walked past that rack, looked at the outside of the box, and just kept going. I was curious. So then I opened up the box, the the board. The board is like a beautiful mess. <laughs> I think it's mostly mess. Mostly mess. <laughs> but it's again, it's like I said, it's this almost marker art, very much like Yellow Submarine. 
but it's all about like whales and extinction. <laughs> it's, it's creepy in some ways. It's got like whaling boats and it shows like skeletons of whales and stuff on it. Yeah, the thing about Save the Whales is it's one of the earliest cooperative games. It's a 1978 yeah, cooperative. A- it was obviously designed for families with kids to play. This is definitely yes. that target market. And every time I really start thinking about that very much, it brings me back to our comments on pandemic and how pandemic with kids could be hard with, with young kids because, you know, you lose and everybody dies. Well, you know, as you're playing this game, species of whale go extinct. <laughs> and you might lose all the whales on Earth. And somehow I, I don't think either Ranger yeah. or Scout is really ready. Yeah, it's really odd. All- all the whales to die. It's really weird. You, you have like so. save, saving points or something, and and and, and the dice are like there's two six sided die, and the ones are whaling ships <laughs> with like these big harpoons on them, and then it's got a golden barnacle. It's just oh, magical. You're, you're skipping ahead. Okay. I, honestly, Jim couldn't convince me it was worth parting with a dollar to get this dollar. thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. the box is pretty I damaged. Was, I was totally not. And it looks like it should reek of patchouli, frankly. Uh, and the, the game book is really thick. It's like a treatise on whaling. <laughs> you know that chapter in Moby Dick where they talk about all the products you can make from a whale? Make that a rule book, and that is this game. Yeah. So I am pretty sure Jim has flipped his lid. He wants to throw a dollar at this game. And then he opens this little cloth bag inside. Yeah, it's a muslin or whatever. Yeah. cloth or whatever bag. It's just a little cloth drawstring bag. And at this point, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if roach clips fall out. <laughs> but instead, there are these beautiful little sculptures. It even says they're, they're hand-sculpted, hand-cast metal sculptures of all these different whale species. And, and the golden barnacle. And the golden barnacle. And they are truly beautiful. Even the whaling ship is lovely. Yeah, and, oh, there's a whaling ship too. Yeah. And I said, heck, let's pay a dollar for that and we'll just throw out everything but the parts. Since then, Jim has convinced me. I think the me, board, well, I, I thought, well, maybe we might mount the board because like I said, it has no graphic design on it, it whatsoever. It makes my head hurt. It, it it's just, like a splash of color. <laughs> I don't know. crazy. I don't know. It's very really odd. I, it doesn't make any sense when you look at it. The like, parts are so, so, so beautiful. The whales are so well, well no, made. Now, is that company around anymore? I well, think I think it, they probably went out of business in 1978. <laughs> Who makes hand-sculpted, hand-cast pieces? I just, yeah, I mean, here, you know, we're lucky if they're not little cardboard standees these days. And these were beautiful, yeah. beautiful. And as as our friend Andy said... They made five, and they're like, why are we broke? (laughs) So, um, And they probably sold them for less than the cost of one pawn. Um, It's beautiful. I don't know that I'm ready to watch all the whales going. Yeah, I can't can't work up the nerve to play this game. And I really don't want to read the rule books. So lately, I've become a pretty big fan of Flip the Table podcast. If you're not listening to it, it's hilarious. They play random, usually thrifted board games, usually ones with... Like marketing tie-ins. Commercial tie-ins. If you only listen to one episode, listen to G.I. Joe, and then you'll have to hear every episode. Um, they got me in touch with my my childhood experience of knowing most of the G.I. Joe figures' names, even though I never even owned one. 
Anyway, flip the table. I think we're sending the whales your way so you can kill them all. <laughs> and we can just enjoy it vicariously. Yeah. Yeah, they're looking forward to it. So, yeah, I don't yeah. know if we'll play it before we get it out to them. But but, uh, but we will let you know if Flip the Table does cover it because, oh, my gosh, this game is something. And it, I just can't nothing convince else, myself to play it. If nothing else, it was worth a dollar just to, like, speculate on it for a while. <laughs> Every once in a while we'll get it down and look at it again. It, Yeah, it is just screwy. Yeah, definitely take – there are pictures of the board and stuff on Board Game Geek. And I think you could still buy it through, like, the Whale Watch. There's like a Whale Watch website uh, or organization. You can still buy this game. Or one of the other four copies. <laughs> one of the other four copies that we ever created. Yeah. Anyway, so that those are my two main finds. I think we found other stuff, but I and I didn't list all of them. But let's go back to your main find. Okay, my I hate to make this my main find. <laughs> I, it was your meat I bought one heck of a dead this trip. Uh, it's a double-sided board, so you think at least one of the games would be good. It was printed by Ravensburger. I mean, these things are okay. It was 1984. That may be the whole reason it fails. I, I suspect that's... Yeah, it's called Double Discoveries, and it had two games in one. And I think it was a Ravensburger partnership with one of those kid game companies. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway... The one that attracted me was called Trap the Cat, and the art on this is different and funny and really simple, and it looks like, it looks like the error, yeah. it looks like the 1927 game, it is. Yeah, it's, it's reprint 1984, but it's based on a 1927 game. So you have basically these little dunce cap looking cones that you move around the board. Yeah. It, how you many have players? Two to six. And how long does it take? <laughs> In my opinion, it took us playing as two well, there are a whole bunch of variations, <laughs> and I did try and talk you into one that was more finite. Instead, you chose the Dodge and Weave version. So, how long do you think it take? I don't know, maybe an hour. How long did I write on the paper? <laughs> well, forever. <laughs> <laughs> this game took forever. And you also write. No one would take. Well, yeah. <laughs> I looked for I looked for designer, and it says uncredited, but, but no one would take credit. You know, game designers may need <laughs> one like you know. There's that one director name that they use when they make really crappy films. Oh yeah. Oh, a really cardboard. A film. really cardboard film. <laughs> and they don't want to take credit for it. Well, we need to. Create, oh, we need to find like that. A, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so. The, the game is probably okay for 1927, but games have come so far <laughs> since then. <laughs> Even the variations weren't any good, although they were better. I didn't find them interesting. The whole idea of this game is that you have to, you have these like little, you have these little cones that you have to use to capture the it, other person's cones. It's moving King of the Hill on a Parcheesi board. Yes, and then you can move stuff back to your base and leave them there. But you have to do it all with the roll of the dice. Only two dice, too. It, yeah. Let, let's let not belabor Trap the Cat, because there was another game on the opposite side of the well, board. I, yeah, after playing this next game, I actually thought Trap the Gap, <laughs> Cap was not a bad game. <laughs> okay, so, so... I looked it up. And uh, it, again, it was printed in 1994, but it's based on a 1587 game. They weren't even speaking English as we recognize it in I 1587. Felt, I felt bad for kids <laughs> <laughs> after playing this game if this was what was considered fun. <laughs> if 
1587. He only lived to be 12. So. Yeah, I mean, when you put it in perspective where you'd get like an orange for Christmas. Wait, this, they this didn't is, even know about oranges in 1587. Well, this, well, there you go. And this is probably the equivalent of coal in your sock. But anyway. You no, know, they probably thought coal was awesome in 1588. <laughs> hey, coal! Hey, it can be warm tonight. <laughs> So, the name of the game is called A Game of Goose. Again, it's two to six players, and this one takes forever and a day to play. It, it seemed kind of like Snakes and Ladders or something where, you know, you It's can like move a storytelling. And you can get set back, and you can move forward, and you can get set back. But it has this recursive loop at the well, end every that time is you, relentless. Every yeah, every time you land on certain parts, you would read something about the. You had like the story of this goose, and so you would read like, oh, when I land on a picture of the goose, I hear part of the story or the nursery rhyme or whatever. But also, they would have like in-game effects, like, oh, well, if you land on this goose and he was so hungry, it made him move forward four spaces. Fine, yeah. until you get to the end, you have to land on exactly. The problem is, is that if you don't, and you move forward and backward, you can hit on spaces that send you back eight spaces, and send you forward three spaces, and send you back eight spaces. It took us circling around and around. At the end of the game, where we're on like the last 14 spaces, half an hour to finish this game. It was horrible. It, it was, and I like how you wrote down on the time. <laughs> but it would take forever. End of the day, day, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And again, no one would take credit for this or uncredited. Uh. Oh, you know, <laughs> back when they designed this game in 1587, I suspect lifespans weren't long enough for anyone to actually complete it. But they could never play test it. <laughs> it was at least 1640 before they well, Actually, you're probably the first people that fully played it all the way through. <laughs> It was actually a religious metaphor for eternity. <laughs> it's horrible game. Actually, that would have been better if they had like like demon thing or something like it. it was like a Dante's Circle of Hell or something. No, it, oh my goodness! You say it would be better, but you don't really mean it. There was there was really you know we have friends who are brilliant who can fix all sorts of broken games, and um, this one just if it wasn't all. attached to Trap the Cap, which is a better game than that, I would almost send that to flip the table as well. <laughs> I I don't even think flip the table once that one. Uh, so bad. I I have a feeling those two games are going to get thrown in the next consignment sale. Or we can use the parts because the the caps are kind of cool and the board is really cool. The board is kind of cool. Trap the cap, yeah. but yeah. Otherwise, it was it was a total thrifting miss. Yeah. So oh well, can't always win. Yep. Well, if you haven't heard it yet, we are so excited to be a part of Extra Life this year. Yeah, we've mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast, and I just gave a presentation at our church about hosting an event in our fellowship hall over the weekend that Extra Life is going to be happening. And some of you might be asking, what is Extra Life? So Extra Life is an organization that originally started to support a forum or a community member of the Sarcastic Gamer video game website. They were undergoing cancer treatment, and so the 
the website and then supporting websites of other people that heard about it, rallied and, and raised money for the, the hospital that the, that particular person was going to. Over the years, it's matured and broadened its scope. It's now an actual official fundraising event for the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Which involve many, many children's hospitals around the country, including the one that we do take Rogue to. Yeah, so. and uh, and also, and, and I think there's some affiliations with Church of Children's Miracle Network Hospitals where it's even international. So uh, Extra Life is an international fundraising effort. You can sign up. You can designate the hospital that you want to support and raise funds for it. And basically, you're making the commitment that you're going to play as best as you can 24 hours of gaming. Now, it started out with video games, but over the last couple of years, board gamers have kind of started getting into the mix. And they, it's, it's like a bike-a-thon or a read-a-thon where you commit to read so much or do so much and then you get sponsors to sponsor It's a nerd-a-thon! It's a nerd, it's a, it's a board gaming nerd-a-thon! So, basically, uh, this year, Extra Life, uh, the day of the official event is October 20th. And all those, there's makeup days, and some people shift it around if it doesn't work with their event schedules. And I know how our event's scheduled. We couldn't possibly work out a straight 24 hours of gaming and be able to deal with the rest of our lives. So we're going to kick it off on Friday night with our... Yeah, it just happens that that's the third weekend of the month, and that's our normal game night at our church. That'll be the first three hours. And then we're going to split up the remaining 21 hours across two days. Yeah, I think the next is we'll do 14 hours then on the 20th. And then I think that leaves seven hours on the 21st. So our church is going to do that where we're going to have time within our fellowship hall where the people that are signed up or or supporters or want to come to play with the people that are actually participating – uh, they can drop in. They can also game at home. It doesn't really matter, but it's a place sort of like a, a, a base of operations mm-hmm. or something like that. So we thought it'd be great, and and I've also challenged our podcasting friend and sometime nemesis, uh, <laughs> Chris Norwood of GamerChris.com. He is setting up a Extra Life event that he's going to be running, and he has his own team. And we kind of want to have a little Fenrir rivalry and see who can raise money. It's really about helping sick kids, but it'd be fun to beat Chris <laughs> in the event. So we've set up a uh, Extra Life fundraising team for the Great Big Table podcast. If you would like to sign up and support us uh, or check it out, you can go to extra-life.org forward slash team forward slash Great Big Table and you can see the team page. Or there'll be a link off our website at greatbigtable.com. And we would welcome anybody to join our team. Yeah, and when you join our team, we're going to be we're signing up to support Riley because that's where Riley Children's Hospital, which is the Children's Miracle Network Hospital in Indiana. But you can sign up to support any Children's Miracle Network Hospital that you want to, and still be a part of that team. And I don't know that you have to specify hospital. I think you can go general too. You might be able to. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not so. exactly sure on that. Uh, when you sign up, it's a little confusing. There's a classic and a platinum version of membership. The classic costs nothing, and you have all the ability to join a team or create a team if you want. And that's you how I signed up. Yeah, and if you don't want to join our team, create your own. That's great. Maybe for your your gaming group or for... You can be a rival. Yeah, you could... Hey, we would love the competition. Uh, <laughs> or for your uh, friendly local gaming store, your church, whatever. Your be region. Awesome. Your region, yeah. Um... Or you, there's other teams that are out there. So uh, other podcasts, I think, have their own teams. 
The other version is a platinum version, and that costs $15. Now, all the money that's raised when you raise, uh, when you sign up for Extra Life, you get a team fundraising page, and they can take credit card and PayPal donations through those pages. But if you want to sign up for a platinum registration version, it's $15, and that's to cover the cost of a t-shirt that you will receive if you make uh, at least a $200 goal. And the $15 covers the cost of making the t-shirt and shipping it so that all the money that's raised still goes to the kids and the hospitals directly. So that's the only stipulation. If you want a t-shirt and think you're going to make a $200 goal, then sign up for the Platinum. Otherwise, do Classic, and then you can go from there. And if you have any questions or comments about Extra Life um, that you want to address to us or have us address to their organization, uh, let us know through our new voicemail number um, or the link on our blog. Yeah, we'll put a post up specifically for Extra Life, uh, separate from this. We'll also have a tracker. For, you can put trackers on your website for where our current status is. Um, so we'll have all that by the time this is posted. Right, but if you have any questions, mm-hmm. give us a call at 401. It is big. That's awesome. So there are three ways that you can help. Okay, the first imp- and, and really is an important one is spread the word. Um, one of the most important things you can do is let other, let your game store know, let your church know, let your community civic group know. That there are people that are running this organi- this event to raise money to help sick kids. And they're going to play games to do it. And, you know, let even your local media know. That'd be awesome. Number two, you could, you could join our team or create a team. If you want to join our team, just go to our team page, click join this team. Again, we're supporting the Riley Hospital, but you can support anyone that you want. And then uh, the last way is you can support a team member. If you can't play games or can't commit to play games for 24 hours, that understandable. And if, if the days don't work out for you, then maybe consider donating money to someone who is who has committed to play 24 hours a game. So you'll hear more about this. He'll be our progress. Uh, we might have we have some other ideas. So probably each episode leading up to October, you'll hear a little bit about it. But we're really happy to have a team page set up and uh, ready to go forward. This episode, we really wanted to focus on a question we got through Great Big Tables Guild from member Art V, who goes by Pirate Art. Yeah, Art said that he was starting to play games with his girlfriend or significant other, uh, but was wondering how you go about finding other couples to play with, or I generalized the idea to how, now that you've found these great games, how do you find a game group, or how do you find other people willing to play these games? Asking the age-old question, where are my meeple at? <laughs> yeah, where are my meeple at? So I put a question out on various places, on our, our website, on our guild, and on a board games area on the reddit.com site, uh, boardgames.reddit.com. And I asked, how do you go about finding other players for your games? And if you're a veteran gamer and you now play with a group, how did you create that group? And then what works and doesn't work when you're trying to find or form a game group? Well, look at your responses from boardgames.reddit.com. Sir Muffin Man started off with meetup.com is good. I also use this very subreddit to find a gaming group. Surprisingly, Board Game Geek is not that much help, but that could be due to my region. Yeah, I, we'll talk about meetup specifics later, but that's a good, that's one of the things I thought is, you know, there are tools out there to search for people in your area of a certain interest group. And boardgames.reddit.com is a, is a, a specialty area of the Reddit site 
It's about 15,000 members. A lot of them are new gamers. A lot of them are interested in finding, they're also interested in finding other gamers. So, so there's I can, a lot of fresh energy there. A lot of fresh energy. They're not like, oh, we don't need a new player. Like they're all looking for new players. They're all asking like, what should I get for my new game collection? So. That's great. Yeah. That it's exciting. Like a wonderful yeah. suggestion. Then user Trenzer said, my best advice, common sense. Google keywords, background, plus your hometown. Look for meetups. Go to local game shops and ask about, or look for a bulletin board, check board game beak, etc. Obviously not all these will work for everyone, but at least one of the above should yield something useful for most. If not, what's wrong with simply trying to get people you already know to play with you? Absolutely nothing is wrong with that. Um, I really like his common sense answer, and I'm a little embarrassed to say, it really wouldn't have struck me to Google. Well, what's funny is like, it's so simple in some ways, because if you do, I did the search, I tested all this stuff. So if you do a search for board games in your area, it'll also show you like map data. It hooks in with the Google map stuff. So it'll show you your local game stores. So it happened, you know, that showed up for me. And if you own a local game store and you do a search for board games and your your city and it doesn't show up on Google, find out how to fix that. Yeah, <laughs> most certainly. Um, and Art, I know in a few minutes here, Jim is going to tell you what he found from this very search on your area. Yeah. Um, but hang on, because we've got some more answers. Jux. Jukes. Jukes. Something. J-U-X-E. Yeah. Um, I've got a regular group of friends, and I know their personalities. The ones who are very competitive uh, or enjoy strategy games of some sort are very welcome to the idea of trying out new board games. I just asked them, and I've eventually formed a subgroup of my larger group of friends to play board games with. I don't try to evangelize the whole group, but I wish I could, uh, since not all of them have the competitive drive that makes most board games work. That's great to pick up on a characteristic and... Well, I think that's one thing that we'll talk about it. later, too, is like, I think you're, you're, when you first get into board games, you're thinking like, all right, now how do I find other people into this? Instead of thinking... Hey, I could make other people be interested in this, or I can introduce other people to this. And it's a lot faster than like birthing them yeah. and trying to raise them up in it. So yeah, so there's <laughs> other ways that we talked about getting yeah. gamers. Uh, one thing though, I would I would say to Jukes is that there are lots of games out there, and so maybe your other friends and just advice back to him. It's like there are lots of party games or social games that your other friends might enjoy that. That, yes, it's not the same as a hardcore strategy game, but it might be something that you would enjoy. Since you say you're, you would like to do that, we have some ideas about getting people interested in games through by taking this other tack with these non-strategic or hardcore games that might eventually lead to something else. Okay, and the next feedback comes from one of the best usernames yeah. ever. The monster <laughs> says "Rar." There certainly isn't a single strategy that will work for everyone. I've been to many meetups, played with folks at work from other departments, and strangers, but that's not how I like to game. I always feel uncomfortable and stop showing up to such events after a few weeks or months. I'm outgoing. It just doesn't feel quite right to me. For me, finding friends and coworkers who have interest or who might become interested if they're introduced to games is the way to go. I'd rather host a weekly game night with friends who might not yet be hugely into board games Rather than playing with other anonymous, serious gamers. I think, I think you have to read yourself. I mean, that, that is one thing. And, and, and you should be comfortable. I mean, what we're saying, trying to get your, your, your current friends to play games is a, is a viable way to go. Uh, but I'm not saying that strangers is an awesome option. You know, a stranger 
could become a friend. <laughs> so <laughs> a stranger's just a friend you haven't met yet. <laughs> I know. This is now an after school special, officially. <laughs> I know. It's uh <laughs> it's Save the Whales. <laughs> you didn't know that Jim's middle name was of Sunnybrook Farm, yes, did you? <laughs> yes, Jim of Sunnybrook Farm. Yeah, so we have some more stuff to talk about that in the future, uh later on in the episode. And I you know I can agree with this a little bit. Some of the larger, more anonymous gaming situations, you may not connect as easily with people who are there, and there may be enough rotation, too. Yeah, and we have some ideas about strange. about that as and, well. And and some settings are are different. You know, it it's almost like on the Internet when um, someone you know makes a comment versus someone you don't know makes a comment. Like, you'll have whole different types of Twitter discussions with someone you know then the assumptions you would draw are the reactions you would have to someone you don't know. Yeah. And so I I could see how if a lot of competitive people, like highly pushy competitive, are showing up at an anonymous gaming event, you may just feel like they're there to kick other people's asses. And yeah. That's really hard to engage with on a, a friendly, personal level. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, part of the point of this podcast is I think a lot of times uh, gamers or hardcore gamers or serious gamers are all about looking – inward for gaming. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about growing the podcast, you have to look outward, engage other people in, you know, so maybe those hardcore strangers that are already into gaming might not be up your taste, you know, they may be too insular, too much too much part of that echo chamber or whatever. Maybe introducing those games to people that just aren't aware of them but would still like them and won't be as hardcore or, or off-putting might be the way to go in that instance. But that's not to suggest that all game communities are already so dug in. No, not at all. Because we've definitely had some great good fortune in finding some great... Oh, absolutely. great people who are already plugged into gaming. Absolutely. I'm just saying, if that is a problem for you, there are other avenues. But but I definitely understand, you know, not not wanting to do the anonymous... Oh, yeah. You know, meet up kind of thing again and again. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds kind of creepy when you put it that way. I know, I know. Sounds like we're talking about like <laughs> like some weird seventies movie or something. <laughs> Save the whales is sitting on a end table somewhere in the background. <laughs> yeah, exactly in the background. All right, the set dressing. Boogie night. Yeah. The ice storm. I was like waiting for Mr. Goodbar. Anyway. <laughs> I was thinking of the ice storm, which isn't actually a seventies film, but it might as well be. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> to segue cleanly out of that, um, on the Board Game Geek Guild that we've set up for Great Big Table. Um, you, yeah, we had a couple comments there. Yeah, you found a couple comments. I'm going to let you read a little bit. Uh, Shade Moon 64 who is actually Robert from Evansville, who uh, gave us previous contribution about our kids in gaming, wrote, I have gone about the search for gamers in a couple of ways. I took a few small, simple games like such as Lightspeed, Flux, and Pass the Pigs to work and set them up during work periods. As my co-workers began playing them, I gradually increased the complexity. We built up the six-player games of Kill Dr. Lucky between a, the lunch and dinner shifts when I was working as a server. I found a more serious gamer this way, and we've been going to Gen Con together for the past eight years. He also writes, I posted a flyer at the local comic game shop announcing I was starting a gaming group. I was contacted by three guys who in turn brought gamers they knew. The group has shifted members and has been as large as eight and currently has a regular group of six. We have met at the homes of members over the last 12 years. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And when we joined our current church, I approached the small group committee about holding an event as part of the Million Minute Challenge, Million Minute Family Challenge. 
They were receptive to the idea and asked me to spearhead the project. This is the origin of the family and friends game nights I've been running here there since 2008 on a regular basis. Attendance has been as high as 16 and as low as 4. I think, Robert, I think it's really cool. I never really thought about setting out games that were of a low complexity. Just sort of like pass through. We got a few minutes because he works in restaurants. And, right, and, and it, it's sort of, it's sort of the greatly compacted idea of like correspondence chess or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where everybody walks in, they make their move, and then yeah, and then you just come gradually and, increasing the complexity, yeah. and then finding you know as people stay in, you're 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 building up and saying, well, this person's interested, this person's interested, and then wow, to find someone that you played for eight year, with for eight years, that's pretty awesome. Well, and I love that his his uh, flyer turned into a game group that's been going strong for twelve years. Yeah, amazing. Um, with his third point that they had, he had approached the small group committee at his church. You know, we have had such a good reception at our church and at different points we've been on public library boards. Yep. There are so many community organizations that are looking for somebody to step up and say, you know, I'll, I'll do this. Yeah. And, um, one of our good friends said, and actually in, inadvertently, the person who probably inspired Jim's work gaming group and, and a lot of what we're doing now years ago, said, you know, that our approaches to gaming is probably sort of a Gandhi be the change you want to be in the world. That you want to see, in the, see in the world. Approach. And I think those committees that are, are those groups, you know, running libraries and running Yeah, churches, we've been on Friends of Library Organizations, and they're always looking for they're programming. They're always looking for programming. And, and fun, different stuff goes over really well. And our church was so wholeheartedly receptive to this. And not just in saying, well, you can run it. Everybody kind of jumped in with both feet, and yep. we have had a good turnout again yeah. and again. This one, uh, this next one may be interesting because we had to move it to a different week. So we're going to see if a schedule variation throws us very much, but um, I'm still excited to go. So. Yeah. And then Jeff Chatton, who goes by Eldar1986 on Board Game Geek, said, Late last week, a coworker asked me what plans I had for Father's Day. I told her uh, we were having a family game night on Saturday. Today when I saw her, she asked me about how game night went. A long discussion ensued, and she seemed very interested in getting involved. We discussed a local game store that I had just visited and an upcoming tournament at the game store. I invited her the next game night at our, my house, and she accepted. So my advice is just throwing it out there, and the conversation might yield unexpected results. How true. Yeah, I've heard on a number of game podcasts where people have talked about how they, they don't talk about their hobby in their uh, various aspects of their life because they don't want people to think of them less to think less of them uh now that may be a, a a real fact in your your job or whatever but at the same time sometimes throwing stuff out there in conversation in public or with a group you never know um we've had a lot of i've had a lot of good experience by Telling people, yeah, I play games, and people ask me questions about them, and I'm very open about it. I get a lot of questions from people that see us playing games, and they've asked for suggestions for playing with their families and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it just helps to spread the hobby by being willing to talk about it and say, yeah, these are great, and they're good for these various reasons. And then on the blog, we got some more comments. Um, Paul Owen, who's a blogger at manoverboardpaulowengames.blogspot.com wrote, most of my local fellow gamers are co-workers and friends who either already played or whom I recruited into gaming with a good gateway, probably settlers. But I also got involved in another group I'd never have known about if not for having gone to a gaming convention, Congress of Gamers, uh, www.congressofgamers.org in this case. 
Each convention badge included the wearer's hometown, so it was easy to identify fellow gamers who were from the same neck of the woods as yourself. In the Agricola tournament, I was at the table with a woman from a town not far from where I live. I must have made a good impression because, after our game, she told me that she was a monthly Euro game group that convenes at her house and asked if I'd be interested in joining them. Just like that, I found a whole new venue for regular gaming. And, you know, we were trying to remember if at Gen Con, the names or the, the place names are on the badges. You know, if they're not, you're only one Sharpie away from being able to advertise your own place name. Yeah, you don't have to put your full address, but if you're putting, like, what your town and state is, you might bump into other people in the various gaming venues that are from your area. And if you want to have a slightly bigger advertisement, you know, look look in your closet. See if you have, like, a T-shirt for a local establishment that's regional or, or, or some kind event. of regional event. And wear those because that's something people can pick out in a crowd if they're looking. And yeah. look. And another thing that we have done in the past is we have contact cards. They're like business cards. Yeah, that really came out of the whole, like, mommy playgroup community. I realized pretty early on that some of the opportunities you have to meet other moms uh, with kids, your kid's age, are, are pretty fleeting. And so um, I just had a card printed up that had my name, Jim's name, and Ranger's name. And then on it, I put on our cell number and our email address. So it didn't track directly back to like our home or anything. And if I met somebody at the mall and just kind of, and I never go to the mall, but that's kind of a strange story. I met one of my best friends at the mall. We were sitting there talking. She was pregnant. She was interested in some piece of baby equipment I had with me. And rather than just having a pleasant conversation with a stranger, I gave her the card and said, Hey, you know, email me and, and let me know, you know, how things are going with you later. And over time, we've become very good friends. Yeah, and we've used these at game conventions and other places as well. Having a card with the information you're comfortable to give out is great for a couple of reasons. If you have it, those opportunities can move really fast. You may think later, oh, why didn't I get their email address or why didn't I get a number? And I've always found that when I give something to someone, they they always give me something back. I yeah. mean, I, I always walk away with their number or their email or some means of communication. And the other thing is, it's nice to have it there because it reinforces the idea that you want to do these things. Yeah. And that, that you have sort of a larger plan. Yeah. In mind. And the other thing that's nice, a good tip, is to have a pen with you because you can write on the back of them and say how you met this person. Like, oh, we played this game together. Mm-hmm. You know, or we met at Gen Con or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, another person wrote in was Jason Mosslander. He's a blogger for the blog Gamer Games with Two, which is at gameswithtwo.com. Uh, they're out of St. Louis, uh, and and we've had some. I follow him on Twitter, and we've had some conversations through Twitter. And we, he's also encouraged us to go to the Geek Way of the to the West yeah, uh, local gaming convention like so held in St. Louis. So he went this year, and so it was a lot of fun. And he said, "When I started gaming, I subjected my friends and my newfound love uh, to my newfound love." Some of them enjoyed it, others hated it, and just wouldn't say so. I had one close friend who got in the hobby as much as I did. Then I got married, and he got married, and we started having kids, and we just don't see each other much anymore. That's when I started make, taking matters into my own hands. After draining my friend pool, we began going to new church, not because of gaming. And I found a bunch of people that were willing to try out games. Through this, sorry, we began inviting people over and had game nights at our house. We still do this about six times a year. We invite about 40 people over, 
and usually 15 or so show up on a given night to play games. Some are new and some are old, so we get a good mix of people. Once we have these nights, we're able to see who really enjoys games. Those who ask what we are playing and what's new in the gaming world, those are the folks that are hooked. We then try to have those people over at smaller gatherings for more serious gamers. Another great way is to invite two or three people over for dinner and then play games with them. This allows for a more intimate setting. People can enjoy each other and learn a new game that they may never have heard of before. It's a great way to spread the hobby, and you get to play games. Finally, recently I have been going to my local meetup.com group. They have a game night three to four times a week, which makes it easy to attend. <laughs> I have met some cool people doing this. You can also attend your local conventions. These are usually smaller than Gen Con or Origins, and you can get to know some people that live nearby and invite them to come over and play games with you. That's full of great advice. I know. I thought it was really funny, though, is that we had, we've had similar things. As we have kids, as we've had kids, it's been harder to gain sometimes. And so you, you do have to make effort. Like we say, you take matters in your own hands. One of the ways we took matters in our own hands is that we said, hey, maybe we can have a game night at church. So that's what, one of the impetuses of starting the game night as Right, well. and, and that removed one of the pressures that really got to me about gaming was I felt like I had to have house ready. I felt like I had to have dinner ready. And we have small kids. Yeah. So and, you could pick up the house and it would be trash right <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, and so to actually clean it in, in the time window where it'll still be clean when people arrive, I was so tired by the time people came. I yeah. just couldn't get much done. Game-wise, like my brain was starting to shut down by the time we'd get out the games. Yeah. Which is so sad. Um, so I, I identified that as one of my issues. And so when we created this board game group at our church, you know, we often eat fast food or something on the way there. We've usually eaten by the time we've arrived. And then there's snacks there, but I'm not responsible for any of that. I'm just supposed to show up and have games and, you know, kind of make sure stuff goes well through the night. But that's so much less responsibility than having people at our house. Which will probably change. We have Which we'll do kids. again. Yeah. And we, we've done it before. Um, and we often talked, and I think when our kids are older, we really want to do like a soup night where we just set one night, like maybe, let's say. Every the, couple weeks. The second and the month. fourth Wednesday of the month or something. And that we just. We just put on soup, and whoever shows up gets... You have an open invitation to a group of people gets and Gets a say, mug full of soup, and we'll just play games that night, and that... Yeah, and you don't have to say beforehand where they're going to show up or not. Just know that it happens on these nights, and show up if we're, you know, show up and, and say... And the nice thing about soup is if you make too much, you can freeze it. Yep. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, it, that, that's a good thing. And Chris Norwood... Yeah, that's uh, that's a blogger, our yeah. podcast friend, and sometimes nemesis of Gamer Chris Explorations of Modern Gaming at GamerChris.com and the podcast Exploring Games with Gamer Chris. He wrote in and said, when I started my game group, I began with a location, my friendly local gaming store, and recruited a few people from there who were already, are already playing other games. Then I got into Board Game Geek and looked for local gamers using their Find Users function, which is actually another good feature. If you put your local information, like I'm, I, uh, your city and state, and you do the find local, find users function, you can search by city and state and find people that have put that information in the game. Anyway, using that function, a few geek mails later, and I had a game group that's been going strong for over five years now. That's awesome. That is awesome. And then Dark Sir writes, and he's Jason Klein, who owns the Legends board game store that you mentioned earlier in yeah. Vincent, Indiana. <laughs> yeah, the... I think he had the most interesting way to get a game group. <laughs> I'd say this one, this one takes, 
The most investment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He said, I took probably the least efficient route, at least financially, to find gaming partners. We reopened our gaming shop. It's been a great way to meet new people and have fun with games, but it's certainly not a cheap plan. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, I think our podcast might be doing a few of the same things for us that yeah, we're meeting new people through this. We're meeting new people and we're hearing from people we already knew who yep. like games. And we didn't quite have that that That's knowledge true. until recently. That's true. So, That's true. Um, It's kind of like when parts of your brain isn't there and you get the new information and new synapses form. But That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Anyway, random metaphor there. After that, we'll get back to our thoughts on finding a game group. So we had a lot of contributions from various people, but we still had some of our own ideas on how to flesh that out. Uh, one thing that Adrian thought of, and I thought was a great idea, was for people to try to play games with their... The, you're, if you're into board gaming, especially from Art's perspective, he was talking about playing with a significant other. So if you're playing with... If you have a roommate or something like that that you can play with, maybe, or your, your significant other, your spouse, your girlfriend, maybe try to play with that person in a public place like a coffee shop, a library, a pub. I really like this idea. We're big believers in playing in public. In fact, my game group at work has benefited from being in a public space. It's helped with word of mouth about the game group being in existence and, and it's really been a part of our growth. And I think that it's a good way if you're out playing. The idea, I think you mentioned it um, when we were talking about this, it's not about going out to play the game. <laughs> we didn't go out to play in public necessarily. It's about trying to get more gamers. Right, right. So you have to look at it as like fishing for people. So <laughs> what you want to do is have it compelling. And not in a creepy way. <laughs> I know. Everything I say this episode is turning out really creepy. <laughs> Sorry. But you're right because you don't want to go out and say, oh, wait, wait, don't bother us. We're in the middle of this game. You know, you want to find, if you're trying to find more people to play with, you want to be willing to. Maybe play, maybe not your favorite game, but one that looks good on the table, right? That might be one. Or I think I think it should be a favorite to some degree. Okay, you gotta look like you're having fun, right? You gotta look. You you actually probably you have do fun. have to have fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah, looking like you're like you have to look like you're having fun. That looking is like you're creepy. having fun is how you get the cover of the Liars Dice box. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's a horrible cover. Uh, <laughs> but. uh and also, you should be willing to stop your game, and, and if people look interested, like, uh, address them or try to engage them in some well, way. Well, and you can even say, you know, we're really not that far along. Can we deal you in? Or and you, We'd be happy to start over. You want to play. Or you want to take my turn? or Yeah. Or explain what you're doing. You know, do you want to just watch and we can explain out loud mm-hmm. what we're doing? Or we just have a couple more minutes to want to play with us in the next round. Yeah. And because of that, I would not take a two-player game out for yes. this expedition. You really want something that can go to four and maybe even six. Because people are more comfortable joining in in crowds than they are as individuals usually. Yeah, and something that, you know, it wouldn't matter if people jump in and out or that would be over quickly or something. They, they could accommodate that sort of flexibility. But the biggest part of it is being flexible yourself. You want to make other people interested. And, you know, I'm I'm just sitting here kind of washed over with the irony that um, here we are talking about this topic when for years it really stymied us. We we were people who got really involved really fast. And the only gamer friends we had where we lived were people with little kids like we yeah. have now. And so 
they couldn't play with us as much as we were ready to play. And so we kept looking for that, that thing, that person who is already... Already a hardcore gamer. Hard, well, <laughs> or, not too hardcore, you know. But already was in the know. Like, uh-huh. yeah. And we wasted a lot, a lot of time on yeah. that. So at, at our age, we would be a lot more proactive now. Yeah. So um, we've learned over the years. And I think posting a flyer at a local gaming shop or any kind of community area. Gaming shops are great to pick up other people who like Euros, Ameritrash, RPG, whatever you're playing. And they, they probably represent that cohort. But, you know, public libraries often have message boards. Bookstores. Even supermarkets. Uh, so, do some used bookstores and stuff have them as well, like for reading groups and uh, things like that? Laundromats. Yep. Um, anywhere that your community gathers. Yeah. You know, a, anywhere that someone's sitting around looking for something to read. <laughs> so, <laughs> Play on their too. boredom. <laughs> You know what? I think a game group that met in a laundromat might grow really quickly. That's actually a genius idea. (laughs) A laundromat might be a great place to pick up. Yeah, like you're going to be doing your laundry anyway. You're going to be there for a couple hours. And if you want, if you want like college age gaming partners, oh my gosh, think how many college students are stuck in a laundromat at weird hours. And they certainly don't want to read those textbooks they drag along and ignore. If you do put out a flyer, and or or post to another a suggestion I heard was posting to Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Some people had had a lot of success with that, especially if Craigslist is like part of the culture of your area. That might be a good mm-hmm. idea. We're in an area where Craigslist can be a little fringe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so any way that you do that, either meet at your game shop for the first couple of times or a neutral area just to be safe. But also, you want to feel out, like, just because someone's answered your response doesn't necessarily mean it's going to click as that's going to be someone you want to keep playing games with for the next eight years. So, having a, a non-committal, this does sound really weird. <laughs> Meet in neutral territory and tell other people you're going. But at the same time, I mean, I think that's a good idea. You know, the blind date rules probably really do apply. Yeah. Internet dating rules, you know. Yeah. Go, go somewhere that's public and, and yeah. kind of... Check the people because out before you really decide. When you look you at it, invite them into your home and your life. Yeah, and when you look at it, when you're gonna play a game, some games last a long time, and it's a, if, if you want to do it for fun, right? <laughs> if well, somebody comes over to your house and says they want to play that goose game, <laughs> that's right. They're trying to move in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is a that's a key point. Is it just at least for the beginning? You now use those rules just because. It's wise, but also because you don't know that it's necessarily going to, you're going to click as the same type of gamers. Yeah, and I, I have seen people commenting online about situations where they felt exclusion from something, where they were kind of like uninvited from a game group. Well, you don't really fit. You know, avoid the awkwardness of a gamer breakup. Yeah, exactly. Just have a couple and like... Just- just don't commit till you're really ready to commit. Yeah, so yeah. I think a lot of dating rules apply here. You know, maybe if we just bring the bring the metaphor in overtly that, you know, it'll take some of the creepy off this it'll episode. It'll start like a dating podcast next. Oh, Lord. Anyway. I, yeah. Uh, the next one. So, <laughs> so one of the things that we uh, w- was mentioned in a couple of the posts was uh, going to meetups or using meetup.com. So if you do a search for board games board space games on on meetup.com and put in your address and then you can tell how far away i think the default is 25 miles 
it will tell you a number, you know, board, there are, there are board game groups all over the place. And Art V is from Kissimmee based on his board game geek profile. And I did a search for Kissimmee and I found two or three groups there. And then if you go to those type of groups, again, play with different people, the group, go more than once because, you know, those groups will have a fluctuating attendance. So if you have a real bad experience the first time or a so-so experience the first time, Go back again at a later date because of that fluctuation. Play with different people, and you may get to see people that, over time, hey, maybe we could break off and and, and have like a, a gaming group outside of this. You know, you may just make friends that are gamers there. But again, because this is very location based, it, you're probably going to have to drive a lot further in southern Indiana than you are going to have to drive in, like, southern California. Yeah, I looked in Indianapolis, and there was, like, five or six groups. And there was a nerd dating group there as well, <laughs> but listen, board gaming is part of it. So, but yeah, it, it just depends. But if you're in, a, if you're near a metro area, you should have a problem with it. You know, give it a shot. And a couple of people suggested local conventions is a great way to meet other people, and I, that's really just hard to argue with. Yeah, I think that they're a little more intimate than your than Gen Con or or just like a national event. You know, there are a ton of people from Indiana, especially, but from all over the place, all over the world, that go to Gen Con or PAX or mm-hmm. one of those places, right? But the likelihood of you bumping into them is far slimmer than if you would go to a convention that's going to draw people from around your area. Well, even the Forge in Louisville. I know our friends who went talked a lot about just how they got to sit and just play with other people yeah that's a great way to find out where people are from yeah and the nice thing is that there are multiple regional conventions like the forge was one weekend then the next weekend was two weekends after that was when geekway the west so if i were just playing games centered or if i didn't get to play very often but i were just playing games at local conventions they're two weeks separating two different times i could play games with multiple people and there are regional conventions all year round you know, that may apply to your gaming interest. So if that's the only time you get to play, at least there's a chance for you to play in those menus. But you also might meet people from your area. And again, a contact card or something like that, if you've run across people that you had fun with. And you might make friends over time. You might, If you go to a local convention over the years, you might make friends there that maybe would travel if they're traveling through to see you or something like that. Or, or you know, they may make, come visit you on top of that, so... That's another way to make gaming friends. Well, and the next suggestion is to start a game group at work. And you're all there already. You might as well have some fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not as hard as you might think, right? You there Usually there's public places. We have bulletin boards at where I work. And every place I've ever worked, there's been a bulletin board in the break room. You could send out a mass mail. I sent out a mail. When I started mine, I sent out a departmental email. Or there may be an intranet that you use for work. You mentioned that if you work in like an office park area, there might be like a common cafeteria or a common area. Which you could start with just a planned public approach and a sign saying, Slayer's welcome. Yeah. Uh, one, one tip that I've seen multiple places where people started lunch gaming groups was to pick a day and just keep being there on that day for that time. So not make it so that it started a lunch group where you have to be there every day. You know, maybe say, hey, we're going to play on Wednesdays, or we're going to play on Tuesdays, or we, we, I'll be here every week, but, you know, show up when you can. Um, and if people see that you're consistent, it will attract gamers over time. 
And vary your games, bring light, fun games to start with. Yeah, as opposed to the heavy, dark games. Save the Whales would probably be a very bad Yeah, you, starting out, especially if you're not sure if there's going to be other gamers there, start with something light, card games, things like that, and then work up from there. Also, stuff that's visually interesting can... I know whenever Pueblo is out, people ask about it. Um, Pitch Car. I think um, Magic Labyrinth would be great. Yeah. And then if you see someone, just similar to like when you're playing in public at like an eatery or something, if you see someone walking through who's interested, engage them, you know, and see if they'd be interested in stepping in. Uh, and I've always found it, it, people won't always take you up on the offer, but they'll often stay longer because they say, would you like my seat? You know, do, yeah. you, do you want to play from here or, yeah. you know? And then the last thing I'd say is don't give up. You really only need two to start and you keep it going from there, it, well, if you're consistent and you keep on playing and people see this thing, it will probably grow over time. Uh, I started with six, and now I have well over 30. So don't be discouraged when you only have six. And when I sent out my original yeah. message, it went out to about 60 people. You only need two to start, and once three hits, it gets sort of a different momentum. Yeah. And there's a great TED Talk about the second follower. The second if follower. you haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, look um, for the video, the TED Talk on the second really follower. It's really encouraging. Yeah. So. And then our... Our end solution is, if you don't have anything else that sounds good or works for you, um, a game night with friends you already have from work. Your polo team. Polo team. <laughs> Basket Weavers Anonymous. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the people that you know, you already have social groups, probably, or work groups, or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, turning those people into gamers is not as hard as you would think. Or at least turning them on to games and then working from there. So if you invite people over, like was mentioned, uh, over for dinner and then playing a game afterwards, they're really coming for dinner. But if you add a game in, so much the better. And some people might ask for it afterwards. That's when you know you have someone who's interested and you can work from there. And a lot of people um, are starting, I've heard the phrase coming to currency more, talk about gateway games. Which are games that are good ways to sort of pull people in. Get them to cross that divide from... You know, mass market, uh, big box store games to... One thing you'll notice is that a lot of people have experience games. with those big box games. A lot of people have experience with those big box games or they'll play like party games because they'll play them at work parties or they'll play them at family reunions. They may not necessarily like them, but they have that experience. So they might know how to play, what is it, Mad Gab or Tab Taboo. Mad or... Gab you can find at any Goodwill. In the nation, yeah. any day. So they have that experience. <laughs> so if you say, come on for dinner, let's play a game, they'd probably be willing to do it, right? You just fed them a nice dinner. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you pull out a game that's not one of those. So you might pull out, like, Werewolf or one of its incarnations, right? And you want to choose something that has really very easy to access rules. Because yeah. you don't want them to feel like having to work at this point. Yeah, you low, just want them on board. Low barrier to entry, but has some novelty to it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so Werewolf is great because it's just a social game. You know, there's not any pieces and it's just art. It's just joking. And, and when game. you first get introduced to it, it's a little bit addictive. Like, oh, just one more time. Just, just another. Yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> we high checked the, uh, the resistance is a good game too. One of the bad parts of Werewolf is people can get eliminated. Resistance people play the whole time and you can play with up to 10 people. Um, it's also coming out with a newer version soon. And you should be able to find it like a Barnes and Noble, I, I bet, within the next couple of months, maybe a year. And then, um, Witch and Wagers and it, Say Anything are both good 
good games by North Star. Yeah, the nice thing about Wits and Wagers is that it, it, like, some people play trivia games, but it's a trivia game anybody can play, mm-hmm. right? And so there's no barrier to entry there. It's easy to play, and the betting aspect gets people into it, and they have a party edition now. And then Identic is a drawing game for people who don't necessarily know how to draw. Yeah, you don't have to draw at all. As long as you can put details in that are somewhat recognizable for what people are describing... It's really a game about listening, and it's hilarious some of the pictures that get put out. So It's, it's fun even when you lose, too. It is, it is. And that, again, it's a fun thing. It's different than a lot of other games, right? There's competitiveness, but it's also fun. You know, where if you lose, eh, not that big a deal. And then Dixit is a storytelling game where you take someone else's art and you work from there, really. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of has an apple to apples feel. Um, it, it's, it looks great, so it has it's sort of striking for people, so that, that might pull them in. And there's tons of different versions, and there's also a version now that will support up to 12 people. So if you're going to try to filter out people, you know, filter people for a get, who might be gamers, casting a wide net of 12 mm-hmm. people and then seeing who bites from there, not bad. Okay. Pit. Uh, Pit is just a great, it's just a Real furious. Good. Stock market trading It's a commodities game. trading game, but you, you all look like idiots when you're just yelling numbers at each other. Uh, and it's really funny. Every time I played it, everybody enjoys it. Wise and otherwise we is talked, a fun... We talked about that in the past, which is yeah. like an old sayings game. There's a reverse charades thing, uh, which I, I, we haven't played, but I've heard really good things about, mm-hmm. and also Times Up Title Recall. Reverse charades is just uh, a charades. Instead of one person trying to get a group of people to guess uh, the clue, a group of people try to work together, but without talking, to try to get one person to guess a clue. Uh, and some of the stuff they have to guess is like, Cab, uh, airplane cabin or things like that. So uh, it's supposed to be uh, the videos of it look hilarious. I'd like to try it sometime, but it's one of those games that it just takes something and turns it on its head. Well, and of course we have to mention, you know, my favorite non-threatening party game, therapy. No, I was just kidding. No <laughs> way would everyone play therapy. Anyway, the whole idea is to get them hooked on the novel elements of these games. Like, hey, we played this game and it was different than I was expecting. And what you're hoping is that they're going to come back and say, hey, can we play that one game you had about the werewolves or or play that game where we did the drawing? You know, when they mention a particular element of a game, you know you have them. In an unusually creepy fashion, we have managed to convey most of our thoughts and your thoughts on finding other gamers. And if you're screaming in your MP3 player right now, trying to uh, let us know something we missed. Or got wrong. Or got wrong. Or just didn't say very clearly. (laughs) Or you're just so excited you have to tell us something. The phone works so much better. (laughs) Yeah, you can call us at... 401. It is big! It is big! And <laughs> let us know what you thought. Or you can send us an mp3 uh, file of 5 megabytes or less to podcast at greatbigtable.com. Or you can record it through Gmail chat just by clicking on the link on our blog, which is at greatbigtable.com. Yep. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear stories from you. Next episode, we're going to be talking about gaming on a budget. So we got you interested in all these games, but you start to look at the price tag, you're wondering, I don't know if I can really handle that. And we started gaming when we had two incomes and no kids, and now we're gaming with one income and three kids. It's totally different. <laughs> so world. if you have any favorite free or cheap games, let or, us know. Or cheap approaches to getting games. Or cheap Legal. Appro- 
cheap approaches to getting <laughs> games. Let us know. Uh, we'd like to pass that on to our listeners. And if you started your own game group, tell us your story. How did you do it? And what makes your game group work? Uh, or do you have any, any tips, tricks, hacks? Yeah, that work. Um, that work. And it could be anything from organizing your games to go on the road or, um, you know, how to keep people from spilling drinks on your cards. All these things we want to know. Drop us a line. Send us a tweet. <laughs> Post a comment on our, our guild or on our website. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Great Big Table Podcast. The Great Big Table Podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. The song, Vox vs. Uke, is generously provided by Unreal DM, featuring MindMap That, under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 Unported License. You can hear more of his wonderful music creations at ccmixture.org forward slash people forward slash unreal underscore dm the my favorite game console is a table and chairs image is released under creative commons attribution share alike by daniel solace if you like the image please head over to daniel's blog danielsolace.com and buy the t-shirt if you buy a t-shirt tell daniel that the great big table podcast sent you we appreciate how daniel shares his amazing work with the world and we hope you do too you can find out more about Great Big Table Podcast and subscribe to our podcast feed by visiting our website at greatbigtable.com. You can also follow us at Twitter at greatbigtable. If you have any questions or comments, we would love your feedback. Just send it to podcast at greatbigtable.com. Leave us a message on our voicemail number, 401. It is big! Or 401-484-7244. You'll be calling Rhode Island. You can call from your computer if you have a microphone by clicking on the Google Talk widget on our homepage. And do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It helps people find the show. This is... Adrian. And Jim. Signing, signing off. <laughs> You'll hear from us again in a couple weeks. Until then, let's play some games. <laughs>